I'm beginning a series today that I'm really, really excited about. It's called Undefeated, and I'm going to be laying some track because how many of you think it's important to remind ourselves, especially with all that's going on around us, uh, it seems like there's chaos everywhere in America right now, and there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of fear, and a lot of anxiety, and we, we hear these people calling on the phone. Uh, some of you might have some stuff that's shaking, and can I just tell you, when stuff is shaking in your life, don't get mad at the devil, because whatever's shaking is God allowing you to be having some rattling going on, because whatever's rattling on the inside needs to be addressed, because how many of you know we're part of a kingdom that is not shaken? I got to say, we're part of a kingdom that is not shakable. So if you are part of the kingdom of God, that means you're standing and you're part of a kingdom where, where you have stability and strength in the midst of all the chaos and storms. In fact, I want you to use this as a template. See how much you live in righteousness, peace, and joy in the midst of uncertainty, chaos, and confusion. Because we're from a different world, we have a different king, we have different resources, and we should be acting differently because we're God's people. Amen. I'm trying. I'm a, so whatever you, whatever you say, Pastor. I, I'm just trying to make it through. Stop it! I'm trying to get our eyes on an undefeated King. He's the King of Glory. And if you look on the front of your bulletin, I'm so excited about this message: Living in the Victory of King Jesus. How many of you know we're winners? We're not losers. And we're winners and we're not whiners, all right? And so we got to start acting like God's people, and we have to really know our king, and we have to live in right relationship with him. And so we're going to get into a lot of really important issues over the next probably eight weeks, I'm guessing. So check this. I'm going to ask you some questions. Here's a good question. How should we as believers live our lives in what is becoming an increasingly godless public square where people are becoming hostile towards the worldview of the Bible? How many of you have seen that it's not just a matter of tolerance anymore? Uh, we're okay with tolerance. Tolerance is a biblical virtue. But it's not about tolerance anymore. It's about compliance. And, uh, and it's not about being tolerant of Christian beliefs. There's, a, there's an open hostility in many places towards Christ and towards the Bible. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I was just talking with a, a, a man who runs a campus ministry, uh, and he's been on that campus for 20-some years. They just had a major uh, event leading college students to Christ. And what he's finding is that there's more and more hostility to the message. And here, here's the problem with the message. I'll, I'll get to the next point. What are we to do when the church is marginalized, pushed to the side, considered irrelevant, considered non-essential, and the exclusive claims of the gospel are viewed as hate speech and bigotry, and the moral law in Scripture is seen as repressive and intolerant? What he's getting at is he's saying, you know what, the very message we're preaching on campus is now viewed as hate speech. Now, how many of you know, as Christians, we preach, thus saith the Lord? And I don't know about you, but if I say this, let God be true and every man a liar, all right? So I am absolutely committed to siding with what God says about reality, even if it's unpopular in the culture today. But let me just tell you, if you're speaking the truth and you care about religious liberty and you're sharing your faith and you're trying to live your life according to your conscience, you will be attacked, and depending on where you live, you know, we, we live in a relatively conservative place, but depending on where you live, you will find people who believe that what you're preaching or what you're standing for is arrogant, bigoted, and dangerous. 
How many of you still believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? There's no other, there's no other way, all right? There's one mediator between God and man. His name is Jesus. There's one way and one truth and one life, and it's Jesus. The, the gospel is full of exclusivistic claims. It doesn't mean we're angry about it or we're mean about it or certainly not arrogant about it, but for us not to stand for the truth means you're worshiping a different Savior and preaching a different gospel. To preach the gospel is highly confrontational. To preach the gospel upsets the status quo. To preach the gospel is to attack the world system head on, and wherever you stand for truth in our culture today, you're going to experience friction. And so here's what I'm telling you. Welcome to the party, church. Come on. We, we have created, we have largely created the mess that we're in. Because we've not stood for truth, we've not declared Christ as Lord, and we've not acted like what we're going to talk about today, the greatness of God. We've not acted, acted like that was true, but it is. So the church is marginalized, we're impotent, we're irrelevant, and when we do talk, we're seen as being repressive and intolerant. Here's another question we're going to deal with. What is the mission and calling of God's covenant people in history? Now, if I ask you what's the mission and calling in eternity, we know Christ is coming. How you know that's the truth too? Christ is going to return. He's going to judge the living and the dead, all right? Men are going to stand before God Almighty and give an account for their lives. The judgment of God is coming. How you know this is the truth? That's an unpleasant truth for many people because it suggests that there's a judge and that he has laws and that there's price to pay for living in rebellion to the law of God. How I many know that's not a welcome message if you're living in rebellion? But it's the truth. We know that's coming. But here's the bigger question. What are we doing now in human history? Like now. Now. What, it, what are we supposed to be doing to partner with God? What should the church be like? What is our assignment now in human history? Here's another thing that frustrates me, if you let me vent here. Um, you have no choice because I got the microphone right now, so hang on. <laughs> Many people live this dualistic life where we, we retreat in the four walls of the church and we're just waiting for the day when Christ returns because we think it's just going to get worse and worse and darker and darker and the ship is sinking and what good do it, you know, why polish the brass railings while the ship's going down? It's inevitable and we have this dismal, hopeless picture of the future, which I think is completely wrong, by the way. Um, but we have, we're a hopeless people in the, in the midst of great darkness. How many of you know you're called to be the light of the world? You're called to be a city set on a hill. You're called to see Jesus become the ruler of the nations of the world. That's, who we, that's one of his titles. And yet the church is shrinking back and hiding many times. And here's what I don't understand. Why do we act like how we live right now in the reign of Christ right now doesn't matter. We're just, we're just holding the fort till Jesus comes while everything goes to hell around us. Why do we justify that as somehow being spiritual and somehow we're living in the last days when the Lord has put responsibility in our hands to rule and reign and take dominion now, now? So does the church, here's a good question for us, does the church have a bright future, not in eternity, but in history? I'm telling you, I believe our brightest days are ahead of us. I believe we're going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I believe that God hates evil and injustice, and God will only sit back so long before he moves through his church to establish his great glory in the earth, and there's a movement of the Holy Spirit to bring about a great revival. I'm going to get into that in a few weeks. We should be prisoners of hope. 
We should be people that no matter what it's looking like, because you know God, because we know Christ is alive and seated at the Father's right hand, because he sent his spirit, because he's given us his promises, I'm going to go on and on. And those are all sermons coming in the weeks to come, by the way. But I want you to be pregnant with hope, exploding with hope, because of what God's fixing to do. That's some good Southern talk right there, fixing to do in our culture today. Are Christians really called to transform culture, or do we need to just go up here and take out one of our four pillars? Because one of our four pillars is we actually believe the gospel has the power to transform people, and transform people, transform nations. We believe that. We preach that here. And so, in short, what is the mission of God, and what part do we have to play? I think these are really, really important questions. I just want to whet your appetite with some of these. But I want you to be patient with me because I want to lay some tracks today. We're going somewhere, and I want you to take the journey with me. I want to to build some good theology line upon line so that you're equipped with a theology for impact. I want to say that again, a theology for impact. We've been set up for success. We have the undefeated one leading us. We're not losers, we're winners, which is why Peter said this, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is inside of you. I mean, hope is, the, is what the world's looking for. The Bible says we're prisoners of hope, which means we can't get away from hope. Hope has us bound tight, and we're full of it. All right, someone tells you you're full of it, say, yes, I am. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm full of hope, and if you get around me, you're going to get some hope because we're hope dealers in this place, all right? That's what we deal. But hope has to be established on truth. If you don't have truth, you don't have hope. So let's lay some truth today. Principle number one I want to hit today is our king and his kingdom. I want to talk about our our powerful creator king and his kingdom. If you look with me at Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, Let me just mention, this is the prophet Isaiah who has an amazing vision from God, and I just have to drive this point home. Nobody ever has the hope of knowing what God is like apart from the fact that God has spoken. God has revealed himself to us. He's done it through a variety of names that he has identified himself with. He's done it through promises in the Bible, through self-revelation that we have in the Bible. You know, when people say, I'm just on this journey, I'm just trying to find God. Well, you're like a blind squirrel trying to find an acorn, all right? You can't find God apart from God. You can't find God apart from God, which is kind of humbling, isn't it? Because it means we can't even try to be spiritual or worship anything that's somewhat accurate of who God is if God doesn't reveal himself to us. Aren't you grateful for the Bible? God has revealed himself to us. So take a look here. Isaiah, this great man of God, this anointed prophet, writes in verse 1, it was the year King Uzziah died. How many know this is in human history? There's a king. His name is Uzziah. It's the year Uzziah died. That puts a reference point for us. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. Well, what Lord did he see? What what was going on? Check this out. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the entire temple. Now, this is radical. We're Americans. We have a constitutional republic. We're, We're not a monarchy here. But I'm telling you, God is not part of a constitutional republic. You can't vote him out. It's not a democracy. God is part of a kingdom, and he's the king. 
And Isaiah sees this incredibly glorious picture of a throne, not just a throne, a lofty throne, and God is seated on the throne. I mean, this is a picture of majesty and power and authority and might. God is a king. Say that with me. God is a king. Not just any king, a great king. He's your God. He's my God. Let me ask you this question. When is God a king? Now, all the time. This is not a future event. What is God doing right now? He's reigning over creation. He's a king and an awesome king, the greatest of kings. That's who we come to worship every Sunday morning. That's who we live our lives before. How many think we have a great advantage just from the get-go here? God Almighty, revelation as a king of all things. Look what it says in Psalm 91, or Psalm 93, verse 1. The Lord is king. He's robed in majesty. He's armed with strength, it goes on to say. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. Can I just get off on a little tangent here? Because ideas have consequences. We got all these people, even in the church, freaking out about one, one-sided, it's really pseudoscience, about how the world's warming up. We're, we're all going to flood because the icebergs are going to melt. Remember the polar bears were on the little piece of ice? That was all photo op, fake stuff, by the way. We never hear one ounce of any other side. We always get one side because it's propaganda. But can I just tell you, I don't spend a millisecond worrying about whether planet Earth is going to survive humans because God is king. He's on his throne. He's established the earth and it's going to remain the earth mother earth is not freaking out there's a king his name is God Almighty he's firmly established on his throne he established the earth it cannot be shaken that's the word of the Lord so stop pretending like you're God Stop pretending like you got to kill the cows because they're passing gas and the earth is in jeopardy stop it We have a king on his throne. He's still in charge. All of human history is moving in the direction he has foreordained already. Oh, my gosh. Don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. And he's not just a king, but listen. His greatness is absolutely unmatched. How many of you have figured out most of our problems in life come from when we exchange the king of glory for a... Did my power go out here, Colin? Am I on? Okay. If you're overwhelmed, it's because, listen, hear me. I love you. Smile at me. It's because your God is too small. If you're overwhelmed, it's because your God is too small. God is not only a king... He's unmatched in his greatness, and no one compares to him. He's undefeated. Listen to what Nebuchadnezzar said to Daniel in Daniel chapter 2, verse 47. This is coming from an ungodly monarch who had been absolutely humbled by a king who was greater than him. Truly, your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, the greatest of gods. This was from the ungodly lips of King Nebuchadnezzar. Psalm 95, verse 3, For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all the other gods. You know, we just celebrated uh, the, the memory of uh, the World Trade Center bombing, a plane attack, um, two decades. And many of us in this room that were alive remember exactly where we were when that happened. 
The media always sanitizes things. We all, we all realize that God loves people. Red and yellow, black and white, they're precious in his sight. But God hates idolatry. And I just want to tell you, while we sanitize it, Islam is idolatrous. Islam is wicked. Islam enslaves people. We never de declare that anymore because it's politically incorrect, but that is the absolute truth. Islam has an agenda. Islam has a worldview to take over the world. Can I tell you something? It's too late. God already has a plan for global dominion. It's too late. And God's dominion does not come with swords and all kinds of wickedness and violence. God's dominion comes. He's the, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He comes with goodness and kindness and love, but he comes in power because he's the great God and he's the great king. In fact, one of his names, and I love all these Old Testament names for God, one of the Old Testament names is El Elyon, which means the Lord Most High. Higher than every false idol, higher than every world religion, higher than every competing politician is God Almighty. How many of you know we gotta get this, church? We gotta get this. It puts a swagger in the way we operate. It gives us holy confidence. It causes us to stand in the face of challenges and oppositions, and we don't shrink back. We're not bound by fear and by cowardice. It causes us to stand tall. Psalm 57, verse two, I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill, look at this last promise, who will fulfill his purpose for me. Turn to your neighbor and say, God will fulfill his purpose for you. Just tell him that right now. God will fulfill his purpose for you. Now in one place, one of, I, I believe it was David, he said, Lord, you know, who am I that the Lord of all the earth would pay attention to somebody as tiny as I am? How many of you know God's transcendent and in, and in comparison with him, we're really tiny and, and we feel insignificant, but God sent his son who shed his blood to redeem us back to the Father and I just want you to hear this. God in his greatness knows you and he's committed to working out his purpose for your life. I've had people say, you know, I'm bitter at this person because I had this dream and they came in and they cheated me or they robbed me and they destroyed my dream. God's purpose for your life will absolutely happen. He's the king of glory. He will work out his purpose for your life. How many of you believe this? I got young people. We got young people that are like, oh my gosh, you know, what am I gonna do? I'm not sure, you know, how do I navigate through life? Honor the great king of all glory. He's committed to working his purpose in you. This is great news. Quit sweating about what do I do? How, 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 am I going to, how am I going to have enough food? What if I lose my job? What if this mandate really comes through and they fire me? God, God cares about lilies in the field. He dresses them. God feeds sparrows. God knows how many hairs are on your head. What God are we following? I'm following him. He's my source. He's my protector. He's my provider. He's the great king of all glory. That, period, 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 period. <laughs> Hallelujah. We got to get this from here into here. So listen to me. Someone's threatening you. You just declare, God Almighty, the great King of glory, you're going to fulfill your purpose for my life. Hallelujah. And you keep moving ahead and you keep standing for truth. Point number three, this is important. His authority is both absolute and all-encompassing. 
Now, now track with me here. A, a king has to have a kingdom. And the kingdom is the territory over which a king reigns. And since we understand that God is the creator of all things, can I get an amen on that? God is the creator of all things, then the extent of his realm must be the whole world. This is so important. A king has a domain over which he rules. The domain over which God rules is all that he created, which is everything. Now, I just got to say this. I think the time has come. We believe the lie, and I'll get into some of these things as to how we got into the mess that we're in, but we believe the, the lie that somehow it's called dualism that there are sacred things and secular things, that there are are, are parts where God belongs like church and then there's parts where God doesn't belong like science. How many of you know there is no science apart from God? The reason we thrive in the West is because of our Christian worldview because we believe that the earth is based on, on laws that God created and we can discover those laws. There is no science if you don't believe in order and you can't believe in order if you believe in evolution because evolution is all random chaos. So can I suggest something to you? It's time we stop tolerating in our public schools when we're talking about theories of evolution because, or theories of creation. Because I mean, you know, last time I checked, no evolutionist was there to see it happen. So it's a theory. And how many of you have figured out too, even the evolutionists have to borrow the energy and the matter to even have their theory work. So they're already borrowing from God even before they start their godless theories. So here's my point. Why do we tolerate this garbage we have, a, we have a suicide epidemic. We have young people that are simply living out the theology of evolution, which means you're an animal and you don't have any ultimate purpose and life is meaningless. And then we wonder why our young people are so struggling today and doing all kinds of things that, that they should not be doing because we've not given them a worldview. I, I suggest to you we stop believing the lie that somehow God's truth does not rule and reign over every people now. Can I, can I just tell you something else? God is not looking for agreement like, like, well, you know, over in this country, we believe in this idolatry religion, and so therefore God's rules do not apply to us. No, God is the king of all the earth. That, that's the Bible. That's what he reveals to us. We either believe this or we don't, or we believe it in church, but we don't believe it out there. I'm telling you, listen, this is why I'm telling you it's going to get uncomfortable before it gets comfortable. I'm trying to tell you truth is truth. Truth with a capital T is truth. It doesn't just belong here or in our hearts. The reason all hell's breaking loose is because we won't honor the God of truth out there. It's time we start saying enough is enough and getting involved and doing stuff about this. So that's, that's, that's a little side note, but, but it makes sense. It doesn't, authority comes from creation. Why does God own you? Why does God demand obedience from every one of you? And let me just say this, every person who ever lived, God can make the audacious claim that we owe him our worship and our love and our gratitude. Why can he make that claim? Because he created you. Nothing exists that God didn't create. This is why we must fight for that truth because ideas have consequences, which means, listen, every one of us, I don't care what nation of the world you live in, every human being will give an account before God. Because if only by the virtue of the fact that you have enough revelation to realize God created everything, this didn't happen by accident, God created me, therefore I must know who this creator is and I will submit my life to him. This is just human reason can get you there apart from revelation. It won't save you, but it'll get you on the right track. 
Take a look at Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord has made the heavens his throne, and from there he rules over everything. Can you, when is God ruling over everything? Now, now. He rules over everything, everywhere, now. God is not waiting for a promotion at the end of the age. God is ruling the nations now. Look at Psalm 24, 1, one of my favorite verses. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. What an amazing king. You got all these little petty dictators claiming authority here, authority there, world rulers. Like, isn't it interesting? What does God like to do with world leaders who are godless? Well, how do, how do it work out for Pharaoh? Kind of got humbled a little bit, didn't he? How do it work out for Nebuchadnezzar? Kind of spent some time on his knees, like eating grass like an animal in the field. How many of you know God has a way of getting the attention of petty dictators to remind them that there's only one king over all the universe? It's God Almighty. He's the great king over all the universe. So his authority is absolute and it's all-encompassing. Point number four, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Daniel 4, verse 3, his kingdom will last forever, but I say forever, and his rule through all generations. Now, how many of you want to live under his rule besides me? I want to be ruled by the king. So am I going to worry about my children and their generation. No, because his rule extends throughout all generations. Am I going to worry about my grandkids? No, I'm not going to worry. I'm going to fight to see Jesus King and Jesus Lord in my culture. I'm not going to live under worry because my grandchildren are living under the same dominion as the same king I have and the same king you have. In other words, his kingdom reign goes throughout the generations. And can I just tell you something? What America needs to bring us all back together, because there's only one thing, only one place where you see multiple generations coming together for the same reason. Can I tell you when that place is? It's called Sunday morning worship. This is amazing. What were we all doing for the first 30, 40 minutes? We were all singing and magnifying God Almighty. We were talking about how awesome he is. And you know what I noticed? I noticed young girls here and Middle school worshiping. I, I noticed little kids in elementary school worshiping. I noticed senior saints worshiping because there's only one person so awesome to pull all the generations, all the, all the ethnic uh, backgrounds together, pull us all together. It's when we get our eyes on the great king over all the earth and we magnify him and we adore him and we worship him. That's the power that Jesus has. That's why people from every nation, tribe, and language are going to be gathered before his throne because they're not there under the sword. They're there out of hearts that have been captured by him because he's so awesome. He's the only one worthy to rule the nations of the world, and he is. It goes on to say in Daniel chapter 4, verse 25, the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world. And, and Nebuchadnezzar says this, this is in verse 26, or, David, or Daniel says this to Nebuchadnezzar. He says, you will receive your kingdom back when you have learned that heaven rules. Everybody say, heaven rules. <laughs> you will receive your kingdom back when you learn that heaven rules. I would love for you all to write out some cards, put them up on your refrigerator, put them up in your vanity in your bathroom when you're putting your makeup on or brushing your teeth or whatever you're doing that simply has those two words, heaven rules. Lord, I'm a little anxious today. I'm not sure how things are going to work out. Putting that makeup on. I'm not, I have no experience there. Putting that makeup on. 
You ladies know what's happening. Doing your hair. No experience there either, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, Heaven rules. Heaven rules. Heaven rules. There's a great God. He's large and he's in charge. He's working out his purposes. I'm part of his kingdom. Heaven rules. Heaven rules. Heaven rules. Does this make sense? All of this stems from a revelation of the greatness of God. And here's the point. If, if what I'm telling you is true, and again, let God be true and every man a liar, so I'm, I'm telling you it's the absolute truth, then it leads us to our response, and I, I, I want to close with this. Our response is this. His greatness demands our joyful submission. Now, I want you to turn your Bibles with me. This is 1 Chronicles chapter 29, and this is David's prayer at the end of the dedication of the temple. And look at what he says here in verse 10, 1 Chronicles 29, verse 10. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. This is what he said. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. I mean, that's a long time. Verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness. And I'm going to repeat that, yours, O Lord, for emphasis. Yours, O Lord, is the power. Yours, O Lord, is the glory. Yours, O Lord, is the victory. And yours, O Lord, is the majesty. Listen to this. Everything, everything, everything in the heavens and on the earth is yours, O Lord. And this is your kingdom. And look what the response. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. How many of you know that is a massive power verse right there? When the devil messes with you, pull out First Chronicle 29 and just start declaring the greatness of God. Silence every principality, every power, every wannabe tormentor. You just shut their mouths by declaring the greatness of God. And I want you to see something here. He says, we adore you as the one who is over all things. In other words, God is not looking for a servile kind of um, worship where we, we just go, oh my gosh, he's so great, and I'm just going to worship him because I, I don't want to get in trouble, all right? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about joyful submission, submission with a smile on your face. This word adore comes from a Latin word that it, it means this, to carry to one's mouth in order to kiss one's hands. If you picture coming before royalty, if you're coming before a king, you don't walk in there. In fact, we learned this from some of our, our friends in, uh, uh, in Africa tribal customs and things. When someone approaches the, the head, all right, the ruler, the leader, they don't make eye contact with that person because that's disrespectful. They come with their head bowed. They also don't come standing up because you don't, you're not on the same plane. You recognize authority. And so the reason you bow and you bend your head, you bend your knee, is because you're communicating respect and honor, all right? In other words, it's the way you approach raw, powerful authority, And then notice, you reach out and you grab the sovereign's hand and you kiss it. The reason you kiss it is because you're really glad you're living in their kingdom because they're so awesome, because they're so powerful. In other words, when we kiss the Lord's hand, there's a smile on our face because it's like you are the greatest king in the world. 
No one compares to you. Worship, as I told you before, worship is like kissing back. It's like taking the hand of God. I love you. I worship you. I bow before you. I, I give you joyful submission, not out of duty or obligation. You see what I'm talking about? That word adore means that you have the highest degree of love. You regard this person with utmost esteem, affection, and respect. What a powerful picture. How many of you guys in here proposed to your gal and you knelt on one knee before her? Not that that's the only way, but you knelt and, and you bowed before her. You said, can I marry you? And then somewhere along the way, you stopped treating her like a queen. You stopped all the bowing and the kissing, and now you're in trouble. You guys know what I'm talking about. You stop bowing and you stop kissing, all right? In other words, the joy, the excitement, will you be mine? How I mean, you know, this is what salvation is. It's bowing and kissing. It's saying to God Almighty, I joyfully give you my life. What other king would I want to be under? What other God would I want to serve? What other kingdom would I want to be in? This kingdom is amazing. And so you worship because worship is the response of the, to the greatness of God. Do y'all know the issue really is this? Who's in charge? And I'll ask you, I'm gonna ask every one of you to answer this question this morning. Who is in charge of you? Because you're, you're gonna stand before the king of all the universe and you're gonna, you're gonna have to deal with that question. That is the issue. So listen, every one of us, when we live our own lives our own way for our own selves, we're seditious rebels. We're rebels. So I don't, I don't know if I believe in hell, Pastor. I mean, like how could a loving God send son? You're a rebel, that's why, and you're still arguing with him. You're still arguing with him. It's because he said so. Some of you parents, you spend way too much time counseling your two-year-old. Giving, well, honey, let me explain to you. No, 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 no. Because daddy said so. And if you don't listen, you're going to get a swat on your behind because daddy says so. At the end of the day, who says so? See, we're, deal- we're dealing with so many questions of authority today, and the-, and the thing you need to ask is who said so? I had somebody, you know, we had the latest edict come down. You know, presidents don't make laws. Last time I checked, Congress makes laws. Uh, but-, but anyway, so I-, I-, I said on Facebook, if you haven't already stopped listening, you, you need to because this is lawlessness. You know, I got, I got a message from a pastoral friend, not in the area, um, a, a pastoral friend who just expressed such shame for me, shame on Living Stones Church. I used to have such respect for you guys, shame on you. You should be ashamed for, this way said, you should be ashamed for promoting lawlessness. So I messaged back. I said, we are not promoting lawlessness. We are exposing lawlessness. Amen. And I said, your silence and cowardice promote lawlessness. Shame on you. You might say, well, pastor, that doesn't seem very Christian. Folks, you can either live in the insanity or you can begin to live in the kingdom and take dominion. Last time I checked, all the way back, Genesis chapter 1, we're supposed to be leading the planet. 
This is the chaos that happens when godless people are leading the planet. I don't know about you, but I'm not just going to sit back and wait for the second coming. I don't know when Jesus is coming. I do know he is. But I'm not waiting because he said, occupy till I come. Take dominion. You know, so there are people that are doing this. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. You know, I, I, I had some person. Pastor, do you think that the vaccine is the mark of the beast? Okay, let me be real clear. No. I think that's stupid. I think when we think stuff like that, it's stupid. I think it doesn't age well. I think if you're listening to prophetic people online and they're telling you how this represents this and this represents this and this, this is the mark of the beast. and then, No, stop all that stupidity. There's a king who's on his throne. He's ruling in the nations. He has a mission to accomplish. You're the mission. You and I are on assignment. The reason... The reason there's darkness out there is because there's apathy in here. I told you I'd make us all uncomfortable. If it's dark out there, it's because it's getting a little shadowy in the church. We are called to be the light of the world. A city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Come on. God has given us such incredible promises to fulfill. And I'm going to lay a case. Man, next week we're talking about the reign of Christ. When is Christ reigning? As we speak. This is not something coming. As we speak. We're going to talk about the mission of the church. We're going to talk about sending of the Holy Spirit. We should be so pregnant with hope for what God is ready to do if we're engaged or else we can just sit back and get into all of our end time scenarios and freak out and bite our nails and wonder if, you know, the next person that we don't like is the Antichrist. Stop it, stop it, stop it. Let's be about, roll up our sleeves. Let's be about our Father's business. Now, here's what I want to do. I believe responding to truth is really, really important. And I believe if you're here today, the question I would flat out ask you is, are there any pockets of rebellion in your kingdom? What kind of rebellion? Rebellion against God and his authority over your life. Which means if you're breaking his laws and you're living with him in a compartment, he's, he's here with you on Sunday morning. But what about Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday? If you have God compartmentalized, then, then he's maybe uh, the ruler of a certain par part of you, but there's parts of you that are in rebellion. How many of you know that the key to living in the kingdom and the blessings of the kingdom is to have no pockets of rebellion in our lives? So here's the question. It's always a lordship question. Will I give Jesus full control of my life? Young people, will you, will you logically come to the conclusion that God's way is better? That God's way is better. That God has the authority to dictate how to live your life, to get the maximum out of your life. That's what it's about. So even before we get to Jesus and the cross, how I many you know there's a great God? He's a king of all the universe. And he created you. And he has a purpose for you. And here's the beauty. This, this is what salvation looks like. You approach the throne, you bow the knee, you kiss the hand with a smile on your face because you're like, Lord, my life belongs to you. I am your servant. It's not about me. It's all about you. Help me to live the life you created me to live. That, that's, that's salvation right there. So here's what I want us to do in a fresh way. If you can physically kneel, 
kneel by your chair. Kneel at the altar. If you need to kneel in your heart, kneel in your heart. If you want to bow your head and do it at your chair, wherever. But this is an invitation to Livingstone's Church to bow in a fresh way under the, the absolute authority of the king whose kingdom is without end. And it's our chance to joyfully kiss the hand in adoration. Kiss the hand and to say, God, I submit my life to you. If that's you and you can agree with me, let's do that. If you're here today and you've never bowed your knee to God Almighty and recognized who He is, then do that today and give your heart to Him. And come up and tell me afterwards, Pastor, I submitted my life to God Almighty today. Let's, let's bow before Him right now as an act of joy, as an act of, of, of submission that comes out of a glad heart. Father God, we love you and we honor you. Lord, drive all the fear and all the uncertainty out of our hearts right now, Lord. So many people here today, fearful and nervous and afraid of the future and all kinds of things. God, open our eyes to see your greatness. You're my God and you're my king and you're our God and our king. And we want you to rule over Livingstone's church, all the people that are gathered here, God. So Father, we bow before you as a king is worthy of. We bow our hearts, we bow our knees and our, our lives before you. God, we ask you to drive out every pocket of rebellion that exists. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Man, we've all been rebels. Can we just confess to God where we've missed him and where we've acted like he's not there? We've, we've acted on our own behalf and our own will. God, forgive us for where we've done that. God Almighty, have mercy on us. And Lord, bring us into alignment with your purposes, God. God, we believe you're ruling it even now. God, we believe you're going to move in our nation and in our lives. God, we confess that heaven rules the earth. And so we cry out today, your kingdom come and your will be done right here in Crown Point, right here in our lives as it is in heaven, Lord. Father, awaken your church Awaken your bride. God, let us burn with a zeal for your name to be magnified in the nations of the world. Every nation, tribe, language, God, that all would hear about our great king. God, be glorified. God, be majestic. God, be up exalted high above all the earth. God, be exalted in my life and in our church. Lord, take full possession of what is yours Full possession, Lord, of all that we are. Oh, come on, church, this is a joyful submission. This is where we joyfully release our hearts to him. Where else will we be? Lord, in these times, we, we get our eyes, we, we raise them to you, the God who created all things. We, we get them off of the earthly realm and all the challenges. And Lord, we look to you. Be big. Give us a revelation of your greatness, Lord. Open our eyes, open our hearts to see you and to know you. The people who know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. God, we want to know you so we can be strong. And God, we can do great exploits. We love you, Lord. Father, take this, take this kneeling and the kissing of your hand. Take it as a, a, a fragrance of worship, God, and adoration from us to you. We bow before you. We honor you, Lord. We honor you, great king. Maximize your glory, Lord, in our generation. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said...
Amen. Can we just give him a round of applause and honor him with our hands? <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, we love you, Lord. <laughs> we honor you, God. Come on. We honor you, Lord. You are worthy, Lord. You are worthy, Lord. There's no one like you. No one like you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, man, anybody feel like a burden's lifted off your heart this morning? Can we, can, we, can we live in the reality of what I just preached today, this week? You know, talk to your life. Talk to challenges. Talk to situations. Declare the greatness of God. And then let's let, he's your God. He's our God. He's my God. Let's live and personalize it. What an amazing God we have. All the nations will bow before him. Every idol broken in a million pieces and crumble at his feet. He's the great king. Lord, bless us now as we go. In Jesus' name. Don't forget marriage class. Don't forget parenting class. Don't forget quarry meeting tonight. And don't forget on the way out, we have an opportunity to bless and help those folks with Hurricane Ida. So have a great day. We love you all. If you're new, I'd love to meet you. Come on up front. We'd love to meet you, all right?